Amen. Thank you, Caroline. Morning, everybody. Today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 to 23. Listen to the words of God. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying... A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown.
Well, thank you, Caroline. Let's pray. Father in heaven, please plant your word deep in our lives that we would bear fruit for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, lots of us are really familiar with the parable of the soils or the sower. I think it's the soils. So familiar that some of us will have completely switched off. Hands up if you didn't really listen just then. Okay, um, hands up if you switched off a bit because it was so familiar. Hands up if you'd like $20. <laughs> just, just seeing if you're listening, right? Okay. Um, it's really easy not to listen, um, which is ironic given that Jesus finishes the parable telling us whoever has ears, let them hear. Because that's the issue. Do we have ears to hear the Lord speaking to us? Do we? I mean, we all, we all come here, we hear the same message, it's the same words in our Bibles, it's the same words on the page, but if the message is the same, why doesn't everyone who hears the message respond in the same way? This was Jesus' issue. We think that people in Australia today are hard, but boy, his own generation was just as hard. And yet the disciples responded, they responded. Um, so why do some people respond and not others? And for those who do respond, I mean, can you, can you remember uh, when you, maybe if it's true for you, if you when you came to faith, um, someone else who did at the same time and now who are not walking with the Lord? I, I think of my cousin and she was so enthusiastic and then she kind of just gave up. Why don't people hang in there when the reward for hanging in there is the kingdom of heaven? It's good motivation, but why doesn't it work? That can be very discouraging for people who have, have hung in there and are thinking about speaking of Jesus. So today we pick up our series on Matthew chapter 13, starting with the parables of the kingdom. Now, there, there are seven parables, and usually they're tackled separately, but they're meant to be taken together. Why do I say that? Because Jesus expects a cumulative effect. By the end of the chapter, he'll ask his disciples in verse 51, have you understood all these things? Meaning the point of all seven parables. And they say, yes. And that's our task today, to understand the point of all seven parables. Uh, can I say we need these parables? Why do we need them? Because we believe in something which is invisible, the kingdom of heaven. We give to it, we serve for it, we labour to increase it, we actually need Jesus' encouragement. So let's listen. First of all, the parable of the sower or the soils. Jesus is on a boat on the lake teaching the crowds on the shore, so the boat's the pulpit. He tells them the parable and you know how it goes. A farmer went out to sow his seed. It falls on four different soils. Three of them are unproductive. The seed on the path is quickly eaten by birds. The seed on the rocky ground springs up quickly, but withers and dies in the sun and the wind. The seed among thorns grows, but gets choked by the thorns. Three unproductive soils, bringing one challenge, which is don't be like those soils, right? <laughs> don't be like the path. Don't let Satan snatch the word immediately away from you. You've got to think on it. Don't be like the rocky soil. Don't let troubles or persecution derail you. Some of you are feeling this. 
It can be hard being a Christian at school. Maybe you're the only Christian in your workplace. Maybe you're picked on by your family or extended family. Jesus knows this. He says, don't let trouble or persecution make you wither. Don't be like the rocky soil. And don't let yourself be like the thorny ground. Don't let yourself suffer that slow asphyxiation of faith when life's worries or the love of money suffocate faith out of you. Instead, positively, be like the good soil, which is productive, bearing a bumper crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. And then he says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Now, so, I know the answer. Which soil do you want to be? Every one of us will say the good soil. We want to be productive. The question is, how? Well, he's told us, he's told us already. Did you hear it? Or weren't you listening? The question of how to be like the good soil and how not to be like the other soils all comes down to how we hear. So then after the parable comes a Q&A with Jesus, between Jesus and his disciples. So away from the crowds, the disciples ask him privately, why speak in parables? And effectively, I'll paraphrase, he says, so as to sift out those who are really listening and those who aren't. He says, you disciples, you're the ones who are really listening because you've come and you've asked me for an explanation of the parable. So I'm giving you, who really want to listen, the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven, but I'm not giving it to the crowds. It's just like Isaiah's time. Isaiah prophesied to a, a similar sort of generation of people to those of Jesus who paid God lip service but didn't really want to hear. Same in Jesus' day. So Jesus explains the reason he speaks in parables, get this, is not to make things clearer but to make things harder to understand immediately because the parables require an explanation. And so they function sort of as a test which reveals what's going on in here. He will give the explanation to those who ask, but do they want to? If they do, they would ask. Those hungry for the word of God will listen and come and ask, and then verse 17, they will get to see and hear what the prophets long ago could only have dreamed of, seeing and hearing. Those who aren't hungry for God well, they'll hear it and they'll go, nice story. Yeah, that was a nice story. I've got no idea what it really means, but it's a good one for the kids. They'll miss out. It comes down to how we hear. So from the soils, don't be like the path where Satan snatches the word of away. This is the person who hears the words, blah, 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 with no sense that when we open the Bible, we are hearing the voice of God. We are hearing God's Holy Spirit speak to us. So don't be like that person who just thinks it's information. How? Well, by listening, not, not primarily to gain knowledge, but with the serious regard that when I open the Word of God, I'm opening the Word of God and listening to it like it's God speaking to you. I'm challenged by this, you know, when I do my daily Bible readings, am I just sort of reading to get through or am I reading to listen to God speak to me? Because if I'm not, I've let Satan snatch the word away. Then there's the rocky path. 
the warning against letting trouble or persecution because of the word wither us. Our friends, I, I think we have to have a long range vision and know that trouble or persecution comes. It does. But we have to have a long range vision which looks past the part trouble and persecution um, to the kingdom of heaven. We have a long view. That's how you don't be like the rocky path. Or the thorns. Jesus is so insightful. <laughs> what will choke us? The worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. Nothing has changed, has it? The worries of life. You know, sometimes life's worries can seem so encompassing, can't they? And we think, well, the solution to life's worries is to have more money. <laughs> if only I have money, all will be well, which is a lie. That's the deceitfulness of wealth. Wealthy people aren't immune from life's problems. So don't be like the thorny ground. Well, how, how don't you be like the thorny ground? Well, you, when you're listening to God, what you do is you listen, but you, at the same time, with eyes on the page, you're lifting your eyes to heaven. In other words, you're trusting God so that when worry comes along, we are listening to God speaking into our circumstances and we're trusting him. And we're lifting our eyes and we're leaving our fears with him. Okay, we want to be like the good soil. Now, what is good soil? A month or so ago, Narelle and I were driving in the Barossa and we were listening as we were driving to a podcast, um, ABC Conversations, and Richard Feidler was interviewing this very enthusiastic Cambridge chap who was an expert, absolute expert on fungi. And uh, he was like a, a fungi evangelist. It was just rather incredible. And you know, when you dig up the soil, he said that there are all those thin white streams through the soil. It's like nutrient highways, which just bring nutrients all around through the soil. It's just absolutely fantastic. And um, I realized that if I want to be good soil, right, that produces fruit, I need well-developed and nurtured pathways of faith in my life underneath where no one can see. And then when the word of God comes in, it permeates and influences my life. Each time we open the Bible, we listen because we know it's God speaking to us who nourishes our soil. Do that for a year and you'll grow. Do it for a decade and you'll bear fruit. Now, it may be you're experiencing heaviness because you're, you know, you've lived most of your life and you're thinking, I haven't been fruitful. You know, you've had your children and you've tried, but now they don't believe. And you think, what have I got to show? I want to say, first of all, this is a grief, I understand. Having our kids whom we loved and raised and prayed over drift from Christ, that is a wound that doesn't close. But next, please don't underestimate the impact you can still have. <laughs> You're still alive. <laughs> you, you, you still pray and don't underestimate the power of prayer. Turn your grief into prayer. God honors the groans. Determine every day to pray for your unbelieving children and grandchildren. Take advantage of Grandparents Sunday. It's a chance to bring them, isn't it? And also I want to say think broader and think longer about fruitfulness. It occurs to me it's very rare on a, stick, a stalk of grain to get a hundred little seeds. Uh, you'll have a full head of grain and one of them will fall off and produce another full head of grain which will 
The fruitfulness takes a while. Think broader. Your biological children may not believe, but in this church, of course, you still have the opportunity to have children of faith, grandchildren of faith, whom you can impact. In fact, without, without even teaching anything or opening the Bible to them, just by, isn't it great having a multi-generational church, right? Just by having those older with us, okay, the youngers can look at you and go, you're not a seed fallen on the path. You're not a seed fallen on rocky ground. You have actually stood. It's possible. It's possible to stand. It's possible to last. And without saying anything, you are encouraging them and they are becoming your fruit, you see. So think broader and think longer. You may not have led anyone to Christ, but I can guarantee that if you are older and you've spent years in the word and you're still joyful in the Lord, you are making an impression the impact of which may well reach beyond you after you've gone. I think about the man in the church I was converted in, church about this size, little Anglican church, and the man who had the most impression on me was a man who got recently converted, he was an old guy and he'd come in, he had a club foot and a leg in a brace and his hands were wrinkled with arthritis and he had kind of false teeth and, yet, and he had two kids, one of whom had died from a drug overdose and the other one was on heroin and I've never met anyone more joyful in the Lord. And I can tell you what, as a teenage boy, that was so infectious, and I made a point of going around just to hang out with him for an hour a week, because I thought, I want what you've got. Now, he's dead now, but his example still speaks for me, and when I'm feeling like giving up, the example of Keith encourages me. Your fruitfulness lasts longer than you. Think longer. So be the good soil, keep coming and hearing God speak to you and you'll bear fruit, which means we need to listen to what God's saying to us in the next parable, the parable of the weeds. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you were pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters. First, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So what's the point? Now, once again, Jesus doesn't give the explanation to the crowds, but only to those who come back, because they want to hear. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, 
and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So the new point that is added in this parable is the end time harvest. And we have to have this in our minds as a reality. There will come a day, a day of sorting, a day of separation. The day the Son of Man sends out his angels where those who do evil are thrown into a place that is so terrible, it's described in confronting terms as a blazing furnace where there will be conscious regret, there will be weeping, and there will be conscious torment, gnashing of teeth. This is hell. But their removal will enable the righteous to shine like sun in the kingdom of the Father. Jesus is telling us this so that we would keep our eyes on the end time harvest. Are we listening? Are you listening? Third and fourth parables. He told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the whole dough. Okay, these are parables of growth. Have you ever seen a mustard seed? It's small. Okay. Have you ever seen a mustard tree? You can't because it doesn't exist. The mustard bush grows to about eight to 10 feet. Let's assume for the moment that Jesus knew this and he was playing with this idea. Do you see what he's saying? The kingdom of heaven is going to start so tiny The planting of God's word, a farmer went out to sow his seed. You teach a child in kids' church. You text a verse to your friend to encourage them. You mention Jesus to a colleague and how he's changed your life. The kingdom of heaven starts small, but it will grow and it will grow and it will grow to blow apart your categories, much as in the same way the mustard bush might grow into a tree. Not everyone will respond, of course, remember the parable of the soils, but here's the point, some will. Now, when Jesus rose from the dead, the greatest preacher who'd ever lived, who'd been preaching for three years, he had 120 followers. Within 50 days of the giving of the Spirit, that quickly went up to 3,000. And then if you read Acts, 5,000. And then sociologists say that kept growing throughout the first centuries by about 7% a year. If you won't know anything about the miracle of compound interest, quote Albert Einstein, uh, that will quickly turn into something massive. After 300 years by the fourth century, the Roman emperor had become converted. The West, of course, now today has seen a decline in numbers over the last 50 years, but Christianity has exploded across the globe in Latin America, in Africa, and in Asia. Today, the fastest growing church Do you know where it is? Iran. 
Who'd have thought? Categories exploding. It's like the parable, birds from the nations coming and perching in the branches of the kingdom of heaven. And you know, even in the West, we have to say, here in Australia, trajectories have not been what atheist journalists were predicting 20 years ago. They were predicting basically with the demise of Christianity, religion would all become snuffed out and secular humanism would overcome. But the gospel is making advances. And you know, I was just listening uh, to Late Night Live. It boggles the minds of people, atheist commentators like Philip Adams, that what is it that we've got a Christian prime minister and a man of faith as the New South Wales premier. How is, he just cannot understand it. Learn the parable of the mustard seed. Don't be fooled by small beginnings. And similarly, with the parable of the yeast, yeast is the active ingredient in bread. When added to flour, it makes the dough rise. It causes growth of something so wonderful, so delicious, you'd give everything to share in it. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. What's the point? The kingdom of heaven is worth it. It's, it's worth giving up everything for it. The focus is not on a cost that's begrudgingly borne, but of the value of selling everything to get something of greater value. It's like a magnificent pearl, a pearl of great price, or treasure buried in a field, and the discovery of it. It's like those moments on the Antiques Roadshow when someone you know, brings in something that's been hidden at the back of a drawer for 40 years, passed down from their grandparents, and when the expert sees it, they can just can't, can hardly control themselves. So this man um, up here, Paul Laidlaw, there you go, paid 60 pounds for this early camera he found in a curiosity shop. He took it into Antiques Roadshow and he discovered it to be an extremely rare early camera with a microscope. It was valued at 20,000 pounds, right? Now, that is the thing that's got the most incremental increase <laughs> from someone who, who paid something for it and then what it was worth. He says, but the kingdom of heaven is a greater win than that. And we need to listen to Jesus on this because we can't see the kingdom of heaven. But he says, if you only knew how wonderful it is, how precious the experience of it, then we'd willingly sell everything that we had to get it. And we would think ourselves darned lucky to be able to do it. Eyes on the prize. It's worth every sacrifice. Finally, the parable of the net. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So a serious parable again, a parable of separation, much like the parable of the weeds in the field. It's curious Jesus finishes with this one, the ending almost word for word the same as that parable of the weeds. My guess as to why I repeat this is because this truth is a moment almost too much for us to believe. It's, it's, it's much easier to let go of. 
And yet he says you cannot do that. There will come a final day of sorting, a day of separation. We have the word of the Son of Man himself on this, the one who will oversee that day. It will happen. We have to keep it in view. So there are seven parables of the kingdom. And Jesus asks, have you understood all these things? Or have we? Have I? Have you? They're meant to have a cumulative impact. The parable of the soils, endurance and fruitfulness both comes from how we hear. The parable of the weeds opens our eyes to the harvest at the end of the ages, to that final separation of the righteous and the wicked. The parable, parables of the mustard seed and yeast. The kingdom of heaven may look small, but its growth and its eventual outcome will blow your mind completely. The parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl, the kingdom is so good, it's worth giving up everything for. And the parable of the net, we must believe it when Jesus says the final sorting will happen. So let me ask you, what's the cumulative impact? Jesus' final words in verse 52 put everything we've covered within the context of mission. Next slide, thanks. He talks of teachers of the law becoming disciples of the kingdom of heaven. So the context, the final context, is that of mission and conversion. And he's talking to his disciples who now have the secret of the kingdom of heaven who carry the word. And I take it he's telling these parables so that they can take heart in the task of mission. The parable of the soils. When you sow God's word into people's hearts, it's true, not everyone will respond. And of those who do, not everyone will last. But here's the point, some of them will. Some will be the good soil. They will bear a crop that is outstanding yield for the kingdom. Now you don't know who they are, of course. But we have it from Jesus. Some people will respond. Isn't that a great encouragement to share the word of God? I mean, if you had to invest in something that will last, there's the answer. The parable of the weeds. That assumes mission because the field is the world. And Jesus' disciples keep sowing seed into the field of the world knowing that harvest day will actually come one day. The parable of the mustard seed and the yeast, don't be discouraged by small starts. The kingdom will grow. The parable of the pearl and the treasure in the field, don't think of the cost. The kingdom is totally worth it. Whatever the cost, you're on a good deal. The parable of the nets. Jesus called his disciples to become fishers of men. Do you remember that? It's curious, he finishes with a parable about nets and the sorting of fish. The task is to be fishers of men. That's the task before the great day of sorting. And we are called to be about the task. Father in heaven, thank you so much for these parables of the kingdom. May we go home, read the chapter again, and take to heart what you've said. We want to be good soil. Please help us to hear it as if you were speaking to us because you are. And this truth matters.
and it will bear fruit. In Jesus' name, amen.